we got a short amount of time and a lot to cover. So we might, we might be skipping over some things. But I want to start with just a quick review. A, a couple of the kind of overarching, um, overarching things I want to bring up, bring up. Kind of that whole idea that we see in uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians of uh, redemption preceding obedience. Uh, we're really going to kind of land on that today as we're kind of at a big transition point in uh, Paul's letter. So redemption precedes obedience, and we've seen really a lot of this uh, understanding that we are united vertically and horizontally. We're, we have been united to God through Christ and the Holy Spirit, and because of that, we're united to one another. So much so that the, the two most kind of varying groups that you can possibly think of, especially as you consider the re redemptive history, the Jews and the Gentiles, so much so that the gospel is preached to those who are far, the Gentiles, and to those who are near in the boat, and we have been brought together into one new man. But what are, what are some of your big takeaways from the first three chapters? Well, going along the lines with that reconciliation is that um, because the dividing wall has been broken down, that we are first reconciled to one another and then in one man reconciled to God. That, yes, there is an aspect of every one of us having an individual reconciliation because we've been redeemed, we've been brought from death to life. But the way that Ephesians puts it forward is that because Christ did away with the law, can be one people and that one people is reconciled to each other and it's not just Jew and Gentile I mean it's it's every opposite aspect mm -hmm. and, and that when we look at the world and how how so angry with each other for so many different reasons in, in this case because of what Christ has done we can all join together and love one another truly love one another because we've been truly loved and that being reconciled as one man to God I mean the, what's, what's the the way that the world is going to know us by our love for one another. Right? That, that aspect of Ephesians being addressed to a group of believers. It's, yeah. you know, we, we struggle as, uh, as Christians almost reading the entire Bible as though you know, it's kind of to us. Right. And that's not wrong. But there is that aspect that we lose out on if we're not not realizing the um, that it is that Ephes letters like Ephesians especially are written to believers right. the the uh, unified group rather than just individual like well, what does this have to say about me it's really well what does this have to say to us, us right yeah the letter isn't to 
to you, it's to the saints mm -hmm. who are in Ephesus yeah. and are faithful in Christ Jesus. What else? Any any other kind of big takeaways that you've had as we looked at the as we studied the first three chapters? I wonder if other if churches in other countries, other cultures appreciate this on a different maybe have a better understanding than we do in America because mm -hmm. our culture is so so glorifies the individual and freedom and uh, freedom of individual. And not that that's a bad thing necessarily. I mean, definitely there's positives to that. But because we place such an emphasis on the individual, um, individual thought, opinion, expression, everything, choice, I think it may be a bit harder for us to grasp some of what he's saying yeah. here about the church, the body, uh, a body of believers versus or missionaries that have, have been in those situations and just be interesting to hear how do they understand Ephesians yeah. yeah I think a lot about what we're going to be getting into today in some cultures would be much more easily grasped and understood uh, because they, they know the importance of um, uh, relying on one another to their points both their points Right, like other epistles are written to a body of believers. Uh, pick any of the epistles, really. It's like it's it's written to more than one person, but the specific theology, specific conversation in this letter is obviously uh, identifying the importance of like the corporate body mm -hmm. together. It, you know. It is true that I was saved and you were saved and he was saved, but that's better seen in Second Corinthians where it talks about uh, new creation. Mm -hmm. That's more like the individual focus, but it's you know this is the doctrine of the church, and it uh, as with all scripture, I guess it, it, it properly informs what our belief is to be. Uh, you know, forgetting our presuppositions. Okay, well, for the sake of time, let's let's hop into our lesson today. So today we're going to be in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, uh, speaking you know, very broadly. This is where we might say that chapters 1 through 3 have been a focus on doctrine. 4 through 6 now shows that doctrine in practice. I say speaking broadly because I don't, I don't think Paul would have would have thought of such a clean break. Mm -hmm. his, his doctrine informed his practice, and as we go through even four through six, he, he keeps showing the doctrine. Even as we think about the, uh, as we'll look at in chapter five, the relationship between husbands and wives, even there, he goes right back into doctrine, uh, showing the mystery of Christ and, and the church. So, um, it's not that clean break of, okay, there's doctrine, doctrine's good, and there's kind of the practical. It's really, you can't have true practice without your true doctrine, and you don't have true doctrine if it's not flowing out into a true practice. It's, our, it's, it's tied together. Um, 
So as we look at this, we kind of have a, a few little sections. Verses 1 through 3, we look at a, the, a worthy walk of, of uh, the believers. Four, verses 4 through 6, the oneness of the church. And then 7 through 16, the harmony of the church. And uh, we'll go ahead and dig into this and talk more about that. Let me read our, our passage for today, though. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so when we come to a passage like this, and we look at the first few words, what's that first question we want to ask about a passage such as Ephesians 4 1. What is therefore referring to? Yeah, what is therefore referring to? Or, or what is the therefore, therefore? Right? It's a good question. Well, this really is, this isn't an all encapsulating therefore. Like, hey, everything I've just said, everything from in chapters one through three, even though Paul didn't divide his letters into chapters and verses, everything I've already said in my letter. Therefore, now, now I'm going to uh, show you, because of all the blessings that are ours in Christ, what, uh, what do we now therefore do? What is the therefore, therefore? So first he says uh, that he, he, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now Paul reminds us here, what does he say? What, what, what's Paul's location as he's writing this letter? He's a prison. He's a he's a prisoner. He says, "I therefore a prisoner for the Lord." Paul never taught, never wrote to the churches, kind of from an ivory tower perspective, of saying, "Hey, in my in acad- academia says, you know, this is this is how you ought to live." Paul, as he's about to say, "Walk in a man," I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He is living in a manner worthy of his calling. He said so much so that he has landed, landed himself in prison 
It's like, I, I'm not simply, Paul, Paul is never a man who would say, um, yeah, uh, what, what's, the, what's the phrase? Uh, do, do as I say, not as I do. Paul, Paul, with all confidence, could say, do as I do. And he even says this in Philippians. I have, I have set an example for you. What, if you, you want to see what the Christian life is supposed to look like, this doctrine and practice joined together and held together, you want to see what that looks like? Go ahead. You can look at me, and look at me, you're going to see Christ. Paul, Paul was not ashamed of that. doesn't mean Paul was perfect, but Paul actually lived out what he believed. So he urges uh, us. You know, this is this is one of those things where obviously he's writing to the church uh, in the in the region of Ephesus, but these letters then would be copied and passed along, and it's been passed along to us, uh, and we can uh, understand that uh, this is this is for us as well. He's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So what is what does it mean to be worthy to walk in a manner? Worthy. Well, worthy here does not mean deserving. He's he's not saying walk in a manner deserving of your calling. There's no sense of earning something here. What he's saying is walk in a manner that's befitting a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. Walk in a manner worthy of that. This would be very clear in a kind of Roman society. Roman citizenship was a big deal to have. And as a Roman citizen, there's certain expectations that you should behave like a Roman citizen. When you go, uh, when you, when you uh, travel and people find out that you are a Roman citizen, you want to have a, put a, a good name to being a Roman citizen. Um, this is very much what we would say today, just about being a good citizen. Um, we, I was, I'm a naturalized citizen in the sense of I was born into this, into my citizenship. But I can be a bad citizen of the United States of America. I can give a bad name um, to the United States. If I go traveling into another country and break out my can of spray paint and start tagging, tagging the bridges... Um, you know, you, even, even if it's patriotic, we're a big kind of, you know, uh, red, white, and blue flag in USA. I'm not, I'm not being a good citizen. I'm not uh, walking in a manner worthy of my citizenship. Well, this is what it is for us um, as believers to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We are We are to recognize that our citizenship is in heaven. We are to recognize that we are the children of God and we are to walk in a manner worthy, uh, respectable, befitting a child of God. Someone read 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaimed to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses and are, and God also 
your witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless we are, was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Okay. So there we have some of that same language. And it's, it's clarified a little bit. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is, this is uh, walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And as he goes in, then verse, uh, verses 2 to 3, we see some of the uh, fruits of what it would look like to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So as you look at verse uh as you look at verses two and three, what are some of those things that Paul that Paul says should uh, be apparent in us? Humility. Humility. Gentleness. Gentleness. Patience. What was that? Patience. Patience. Showing forbearance one another in love. Yeah, and they kind of attach that to this one. Um, I'm just going to summarize it with long suffering. Humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, e eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I'm gonna, we're going to expand upon that one, especially. Yeah. Okay. So quickly walking through a couple of these things. We're quickly running out of time, so we're not going to have a lot of time. But humility, you can think of, we're not going to read it for the sake of time, but Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11. This is you considering others more highly than yourselves. We are supposed to, our, our lives should be marked by humility. We should be marked by gentleness. Um, as th this is that word that oftentimes is used to convey strength under control. So gentleness doesn't necessarily, it doesn't equate to weakness. Gentleness just means you are self-controlled. You, you have a certain amount of strength, but it is under control. Patience, bearing with one another in love. Again, I'm not going to read this for the sake of time, but the, in, the, uh, in the London Baptist Confession, chapter 17, on the, the perseverance of the saints, or is it, do they put it as preservation? Either way, that third paragraph, we, we read it very frequently. It talks about how um, believers so often um, do uh, bite and devour one another, that we scandalize others, that we do fall into sin. And this is that patience and long suffering. We ought to realize as Christians that our brothers and sisters will fall at times into even grievous sins. And we ought to, we ought to lovingly and patiently and with long suffering um, uh, bear with them, bearing with one another in love. It would be really easy to bear with one... There would be no really need to bear with one another in love if we were perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. But we're not. 
We are a gathering of sinners. And sadly, a lot of times we sin against one another. So we are called here to bear with one another in love. We, we understand um, that, we are, that we are sinners and we are called uh, to live patiently with one another. Then he says in verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Yeah, Josh, you, you said bold and underline the word eager. Yeah, what, what does that mean? What do you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you, you know, I don't like, you know, what do you think this means? But eager, just like on, the, on the, the face of it, what is Paul saying to say that he wants us to eagerly do this? It's like any other kind of thing that comes, like have this mind in yourself, like we were alluding to earlier. It's like uh, it should be on the forefront of your mind in your walk with Christ. Um, it's, a, it's a big deal. Uh, yeah. Another word for eager is zealous. Mm-hmm. Zealous for the bond of peace and yeah. unity. Zealous. I mean, it's like zeal, for, zeal for his house you know, constrained him. Yes. You know? I mean, he, he was driven because of the love he had for for God's house, right? And that's what caused him to to get all the the, the money changers out and whip them and mm-hmm. t- overturn the tables because of zeal for his father's house. That's the same kind of picture that we we should have for the unity that we have in Christ in yes. the spirit. And I I think of the if you have, if you know you're giving offering your gift right and then you know that your brother has something against you go to him. It's like that kind of even is handled. Yeah. The King James Version, the word they use is resembling, mm-hmm. which means it's not something that you're just standing by and hoping it happens. Right. It's something that you're diligent to participate, that you're laboring, mm-hmm. um, you're striving towards. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, those are all those are all wonderful. It is that it is that uh, it conveys action on our part. When we think of all those words, endeavoring, uh, being zealous, it, that's not a passive thing. Uh, as Damien mentioned, Christ and his zeal for, for, the te- for the Lord's house, he goes in and throws over the money, uh, you know, t- uh, changes tables and chases out the animals. Uh, you know, think of the story of that zeal of Phineas as the, um, there's intermarriage going and kind of gross immorality in the temple and Phineas goes in and throws a spear between one of these couples and through one of these couples and God's anger is calmed. He says, because of Phineas's zeal, I will I will withdraw my my wrath from what is happening because he had enough zeal for the for my holiness to do something about it. There's an action uh, that is required We ought to be zealous. We ought to endeavor. We ought to labor uh, to maintain the unity uh, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Then we want to look at the word maintain really quickly. We are, notice that we're not called to create unity, but maintain unity. We already have unity. As believers, we are united to one another in Christ through his spirit. So we don't create the unity, 
God in Christ through the Holy Spirit has created the unity. We are called to maintain it. And we're called to maintain it because we can, we can cause great harm to, to the outward manifestation of our unity. As Damien mentioned earlier, how is the world supposed to love us? Or how is the world supposed to know us? By our love for one another. So how horrible is it if we bite and devour one another and the world looks in at us and says, They're no different than us. They're no different than us. I don't get, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Um, We are, we are called um, to love one another. We're called to maintain with a zeal this bond of unity, um, this bond of peace. Even that word is also an active word that can also be translated as preserving, keeping, mm-hmm. protecting. Yeah. That's that's an active process. Yeah, definitely. Um, in Romans 2, Paul, Paul is talking to the Jews and he accuses them of causing the name of God to be blasphemed among the Gentiles for their hypocrisy. That's the same thing we can do as we, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we're, if we just go about life uh, in kind of headlong hypocrisy, then we are causing the name of God, the name of Christ to be blasphemed. Um, then we're going to move forward into the oneness of the church, verses four through six. This is uh, kind of a, a sevenfold unity. There's seven things. One body, one spirit, just as you are called to the uh, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So one, uh, just again, having to go through these quite quickly here, one body. There's one church. There is one church. Uh, all who have faith in Jesus Christ are united to one another by the Holy Spirit. We are one. We're not divided by... Uh, local churches were not divided by denominations. There is one church. Now, the practical outworking of that, even as you think about just geography, I can't be one l- locally with my brothers and sisters in e- even on the other side of the state, let alone Africa or Bangladesh. There's a practical outworking of the local assembly of the saints. But... That is not how Paul here is talking about the, the unity of the church. He is speaking much more broadly than just the local manifestation of the church. He is speaking of the one universal church. There is one church. He says there's one spirit. We are united by the same spirit. One hope. We all, we all have that same glorious hope that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1. We all, are, we all are on that same trajectory, that, that same um, hope of a glorious future with Christ. There's one Lord. We are united under, under one Lord, one King, one Master, one faith. We're un, united by a common confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is, you can think of Peter's confession. You know, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Christ says, on this rock I will build my church, not on Peter. He says, I'm not going to build my church on Peter. I'm building my church on this this common confession 
of faith. Um, one baptism, the outward, it's the, the outward sign of the inward reality that Christ, that in Christ our sins are cleansed, we've been united to him, that we belong to God and to his church. This is, um, Paul, Paul turns here just to this, um, I think there's, there's probably the spiritual level, but also the physical level that when we're baptized, when we're literally uh, washed with water, that is a sign of our belonging uh, to uh, this one church, this one faith united to Christ. One God and Father of all. Who, who is the all? The called. What's that? The called. The called. Believers, right? The all. He is, he is our Father. We are united by belonging to the same household of faith um, with the same Heavenly Father. Okay, there's a lot there that we had to skip for the sake of time. There's, there's a lot in this passage to unpack, uh, some, good, some good things. But let's move forward into the harmony of the church. This is where Paul now goes, uh, talks about gifts given to the church. He talks about an analogy of the church being, uh, as the church as a body. Earlier in uh, chapter two, he talked about... Um, the church as a building. Uh, in chapter two, verse 19, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he's used an analogy of a building, of a structure, with Christ as that cornerstone. Uh, if I remember correctly, John Pouliot taught through this uh, a couple weeks back. Now he turns the, the attention to kind of a, a, a physical body with Christ as the head. Jeremy? Yeah. If I may, even in Ephesians 2, it says grows into a holy temple, not right. built. Right. So there's already an organic kind of. Thing. Yeah, and he'll use both words. But yes, it's, it's an organic uh, kind of structure. It is, uh, you, you, know, you don't normally talk about a building growing. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first he starts off with gifts. And we can't get into all this uh, today. But um, even in the unity that he's talking about, the, one, the oneness of the church, there's a, div- a beautiful diversity. He doesn't say that God, that Christ gives us all the same gifts. He says he gives us gifts. Uh, and, uh, and we're not going to read it now because we're almost out of time. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, I encourage you to read that. This is, this is where Paul, again, is talking about the gifts. And it's, it's for a mutual edification for building one another up, just as Paul is about to speak here. So he gives us a diversity of gifts. And he then focuses on the um, kind of teaching gifts. He says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The the, the ministry of the word must be central and primary in the ministry of the church. We have to have the, the ministry of the word. And why is that? 
Who is the word point us to? That's the only authority that we have. It's the only way that we can know who God is and what he has done for us. Yes, the world, the, the creation declares his gloriousness and declares who he is. But it's not enough. Without knowing the words that God has given us, we cannot know him. We cannot know him. And specifically, who, who has he revealed himself most clearly through? His son. His son, Jesus Christ. So, I mean, we, you know, walk in, walk in the man, uh, worthy of our walk. The oneness of the church is like kind of points back to that. It's like we, it's because of Christ and what God has done for us that we can even uh, walk in a manner worthy. It's because of all that that we can have harmony in the church, but we must know who he is. We must know who Christ is. Uh, and it's, it's through uh, the, the Holy Scriptures that we're constantly pointing ourselves to Christ. Um, this, is, this is like Doug Searle talked about in 1 Peter, uh, Peter calling uh, the Christ the chief shepherd and pastors and elders, the shepherds of the church. He says, you know, it's kind of a, a nice thing to call shepherds, but we're kind of, in a sense, all sheep. And those, those under shepherds are the ones who are just kind of the sheep who are, who are charged with kind of poking our heads up above the herd and saying, hey, everyone, so, that way, there's Christ. And how do we do that? How do the pastors and teachers do that? Through the word. Devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoting ourselves to it, immersing ourselves in it. This is, we, can, we cannot, as the pastors and teachers, we cannot simply say, this feels right. I think Christ is over here. No, we have to land on the authority of Scripture and say, this is Christ. Christ is here. Follow, uh, follow me. Follow him. Um, Paul talks about this analogy of the body. I just want to re reread verses 14 through 16. So he gives us all... He gives us all uh, all a variety of gifts as are kind of outlined in other passages in scripture. Think of uh, Romans 12, three through eight, first Corinthians 12, first uh, Peter four, 10 and 11, various gifts. But he focuses here on the teaching gifts, pointing us to Christ um, so that we can attain the unity of faith in the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, which is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is mature manhood? It's Christ. It's the uh, fullness of Christ. So that, verse 14, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is, this is kind of the, as, as we think about kind of an application to what we've heard today in a very short amount of time. How are you being faithful to work this out 
in the church. Not necessarily even here at CBC, even though I think that is, for us, that's the clearest manifestation of how that's happening. But even more broadly, in the universal church, how, this is just a question for you to sit on. I'm not asking for answers. But how are you fulfilling your role in the body? Notice that Paul says, when each part is working properly. Do we always work properly? No. We don't always work properly. But when each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This goes back to, he gives the teachers, the shepherds, the pastors for building up the body of Christ um, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the work of ministry isn't only ministry of the word from the pastors and, and teachers, but that is to equip us as a body for the work of ministry so that we can work together properly. As we, you know, mom, as you're sitting there with various joints, you know, wrapped up, you're caring for those, those joints so that they can hopefully return to a proper working order so that you can feel more like a whole person again. This is how we ought to be as a church, that we, we are, as Hebrews says, and it's actually quoted, it's from the Old Testament, but you know, lifting up the weak knees and the drooping, hand, the drooping arms, the drooping hands, we are to be picking one another up, nourishing and cherishing each member so that we can get to that place of health where we are working uh, in a harmonious function to be a whole man. But this, this is the story of our growth as a church throughout history, that God is growing us through the ministry of his word, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, building one another up until we attain that mature manhood, which is the fullness of Christ. Growing, as it says, growing up into our head, who is Christ. Um, this is our call as believers. This is, I think, one of the, the, the little book that we're using um, for, um, for this study to kind of help all the teachers stay in one place. I think that the heading for this section is the uh, God's owner man, owner's manual for the church. You know, this is, this is like if you, when I, when I was a young man, I had my first car, I broke out my car's owner manual, owner's manual, kind of poured through it and like, okay, what do these lights mean? What do I need to do when this happens and all that? Because I want my car working, working well, functioning properly. We want, do we want our church, not just, not just CBC, certainly CBC, but not just CBC. Do we want the church working properly firing on all cylinders yes we ought to and we ought to be zealous to maintain that unity of the spirit so we can be doing these things working together for being patient and long-suffering with one another in our weaknesses and sins coming alongside one another and bandaging the joints that are out of place so that we can be a fully functioning person. And who is that fully, when, when that fully functioning person is growing up, you know what in the world? That's Christ. That's what we 
as we see that happening, we say, you don't say, oh, that's, that's Damien. Oh, that's Phoebe. That's Christ. That's why Paul could say, follow me. Because he says, because I'm following Christ. We grow up into that fullness of Christ. Um, I wish we had a lot more time today to, to dig into that, um, into this passage. Um, but we don't. So we're going to have to stop there. Any, any final comments? Uh, we are seven minutes over. the picture of being in the military and going from church to church because it's not like you go from church A to church B and everything about church A is a race and it's like you start all over. You have been equipped for the work of ministry in church A. You now bring that to church B and you might bring a a part of that uh, something what has been lacking in church B from church A with you. I mean, we, we see this in Acts as the church spreads out because of persecution and spreads further and further. God, God is using that to spread his word, but right. that the uniqueness of even sitting in different contexts as like a military family and what you can then uh, share with others. I always hated growing up pastor's kids seeing friends leave because mm-hmm. you know, parents had to change work or whatever it might be. But if I calm down and just realize hey, this is one of those ways that God uses to further uh, build up his kingdom. To, to, uh, if we're looking for us to grow up into Christ and to be properly working, well, maybe that person needs to go there. Maybe that's God's plan all along, is that he spreads us out.
want to point out the back one to 15, 415 and, and down, um, how important it is for the, the relational aspect of Christ himself. It's, you know, all this knowledge and stuff is, is meant to, to inform our, our frailty, mm -hmm. right? Our unbelief, our, our inability to comprehend the incomprehensible, that we would be running to him, Abba, Father, help me. This is pouring out my heart to you. Uh, you know, Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. We are all collectively the body, but he is the head. Without the head, right, if we're decapitated, if we're cut off from Christ, the body's dead. Mm -hmm. The body has to hold fast to its confession, who is the head Christ. And it's like, he who has ears, let him hear. That's Christ. The eyes, the mouth, it's, you know, the nourishment coming in through the mouth, it's Christ alone. And whenever the pulpit speaks, that's the mouth of God, but that's like man saying what's in the word of God. Mm -hmm. So this is the head language. It's the vine and the branches language mm -hmm. where Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not attached to right. the, the vine, you can do nothing. All right, we need to close up. Let me pray and uh, we'll go on down to, our, to the main service. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing that it is to us. I thank you that it points us continually to Christ. Help us to be faithful to point one another to Christ, to, um, to uh, be zealous to uh, maintain the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. Father, help us uh, to just realize the importance of that. I pray, Father, now as we go into the main service, strengthen us, help us to be attentive listeners as we hear uh, your word re uh, read and preached, as we uh, sing back to you, Father, as we enjoy the Lord's Supper. I pray for Ryan as he uh, brings your word from John this morning. Just strengthen him. Uh, help him to bring us uh, your words. And again, help us to listen. As Josh just said, um, remembering that we are, we are listening uh, to, to you. We're listening to your word. And your word uh, is the, the word of Christ, that word that brings uh, faith. Father, help us uh, to delight in the unity that you've given us through Christ and your Holy Spirit. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.